lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre. Todd Erzin, our good friend Paul Alexander, former strategist for the Tulsi Gabbard presidential campaign. He's here with us as well because uh, we'll have our Dace Group Roundtable in a matter of moments. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on MeWe, Parlor, and Gab at Steve Dace. Get clips of the program at rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. And you can email us, Steve at stevedace.com, but I think I already said that. Of course, it is Friday. You know what the Friday routine is around here. We'll get to some of the feedback that you have sent us recently coming up in the next hour of the program. But of course, we must begin with the day group. Your weekly look at the week that was brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Mobile. You know, when it comes to mobile phone carriers, there's a ton of options out there these days, but really only one option. If you want to make sure the money you spend won't be spent against you later on, and that's with America's only conservative mobile phone carrier, that is Patriot Mobile. With broad, dependable coverage, uh, you want to make sure if you're going to get the same coverage thereabouts pretty much anyway, why not give it your money to a company that... uh, Uh, gives back to you the same causes and values that you share. Patriot Mobile has the broadest nationwide coverage because they use the same towers as all the other major carriers. So you get the same great service. Plus, they've got plans that fit just about any budget out there. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service team has the highest rating among wireless carriers, too. And they're standing by, ready to help you build any customized plan that you would like. So go to PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. Get a free activation plus a special gift with the offer code Steve at patriotmobile.com slash Steve. By the way, veterans, first responders, let them know who you are. You're going to save even more if you make the switch today. Or you can give them a call at 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. Let us begin with issue one. Bleep, Lord Nefarious says. Oh my God, guys. Freaking out. What am I gonna do? <laughs> Just kidding, I already scheduled the appointment. <laughs> I am what conservatives fear. That's good. We have spent our entire lives working towards our future. And without our input and without our consent, our control over that future has been stripped away from us. I am terrified that if my contraceptives fail, I am terrified that if I am raped, then my hopes and aspirations and dreams and efforts for my future will no longer matter. Throughout my career, I have focused on the intersection between medical, mental, and behavioral health. And as your ash, I will continue that focus and support policy initiatives to improve Americans' physical and mental well-being. Science is a dynamic 
process. Hey, Blue, look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Trans members of this family all love each other so proudly. Ace, Bi, and Pan grown-ups you see can love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in the big parade. Come join the fun. Hey, how come my penis gets big sometimes and points up in the air? That's called an erection. Sometimes I touch my penis because it feels good. Sometimes when I'm in my bath or when mom puts me to bed, I like to touch my vault. I, uh, I love those barrettes in her hair, man. I tell you what, look at her. She looks like she's 19 years old sitting there with her, like a little lady in her legs caught. Terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. Not ISIS, not Al-Qaeda, white supremacists. Well, Catherine Watkins, 8th grade humanities teacher at Cedar Park Middle School, and my pronouns are she, her, we, and us. Um, I'm going to say something that's not nice and not sweet, but it's true. If you're not evolving into an anti-racist educator, you're making yourself obsolete. If you're going to keep with those old views of um, colonialism, um, it's going to lead to being fired. If we want to reduce violent crime, if we want to reduce the number of people in our jails, the answer is to stop building more of them. In America's North Korea, the Sunshine State, from time to time, we enjoy taking a look at what's going on. The vaccination card that you get, this opens doors and allows you to participate in life. Well, the true mark of someone is if they look good, even when their personal emails come out. So you, you pass the test that very few of us would, would pass. Update on the White House cat, because that's something still happening here. Our readers are asking us a lot, so I feel I like bet. All right, let's get to the first question. I didn't catch that last part, by the way, Jen Pisaki. What was that? I couldn't understand the audio. Uh, do we have an, uh, an update on the White House cat? Oh. Our readers have been asking. Okay. Yeah. My ears are just tuned in to immediately drown out frivolous nonsense. So that's why I didn't understand that. All right. First question. Paul is the guest. Of course, you get to go first. What was the best of our worst this week? I've got to be honest with you guys. I was thrown off. I was fully expecting John Cena's apology to China to be in that montage. Wasn't that this week? As I thought well? it was last that week. That was last week. Yeah. It was last week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, clearly, I uh, everything's blending together. I mean, I get, I get it. When you see a guy lo- you lose both balls in a sack at once, and I mean the spillover effect, it it does tend to spill over into the second week. I won't, I, I won't. You're welcome to go there if you would like. You're welcome to to, to club him. It's sure. not like he doesn't deserve I mean, it. Yeah. I, I had actually prepared remarks on on John Cena and. Uh, I guess I'll I'll follow through and and just comment on that because I I think I have a somewhat controversial take on that matter that may or may not alienate more of your viewers than the time when I came on here and defended Chris Wallace. So I'll I'll let you decide if sure. that's if that's people wise. come here for alienation. <laughs> what people come here for alienation, right? All right. Yeah, people right, come here. They're enough. feeling good together. They come here to be alienated. So go ahead. Okay. Well, look, I used to watch a fair amount of pro wrestling, so I've been familiar with John Cena for almost 20 years. Not sure if you or your audience knows this, but he has granted more wishes for terminally ill children through the Make-A-Wish Foundation than any celebrity in history. 
He has partnered with and donated more than a million dollars of his own money to various veterans organizations and by all accounts seems to be a pretty decent guy who genuinely loves the country. So yes, I was disappointed when I saw the video, but knowing what I know about John, I really wanted to at least try and view this from his perspective, giving him maximum benefit of the doubt. What would be the best reason for him to issue such an embarrassing apology? And I, I thought through the calculus, and on one hand, you can stand on principle, defend the truth, and, and voice support for the independence of the 20-plus million people in Taiwan whom you'll probably never meet. Or you can swallow your pride and issue a 30-second apology that will show the people who you work with every day that have been in the trenches with you, the producers, directors, cast, crew, agents, and managers that have believed in you and invested their time and resources into making you a success, let them know that you appreciate them and don't want to be the sole reason why this movie fails to make money. That's a difficult position to be in. So personally, I never think it's okay to parrot propaganda from an oppressive communist dictatorship. And um, I'm very uncomfortable with the increasing dependence that Hollywood and pro sports leagues like the NBA have on the Chinese market. But John Cena didn't create that environment. And reluctantly, I can understand why he made such a decision. So rather than rushing to scapegoat John Cena as some cowardly traitor to democracy, I really think this collective outrage would be far more useful if directed at the real power brokers in Hollywood and pro sports who have continuously muzzled and sold out America in pursuit of Chinese profits. They're the ones who need to be shamed and pressured into severing this toxic relationship. So let's not them, let's not allow them to hide in the shadows while pretending it's John Cena who's the real problem here. Appreciate that um, and your perspective. Um, and um, um, I still think John Cena hasn't been flogged enough, but thank you. Go ahead, Todd. Aaron, you made that one tough, brother. You made that one tough. My wise daughter, uh, oldest daughter last night, was commenting about that viral video of that valedictorian, which comes pretty cheap these days, apparently, uh, talking about uh, the, the hill she wanted to die on for graduation was killing babies. My daughter says, you know, we talk about deadbeat dads all the time and you know what a terrible thing that is and it's terrible but th this girl's talking about her most important value is the opportunity to kill her children so it made me feel good that i'd raise a daughter that could connect those dots it also made me feel terrible uh that she's living in a world where she's got to navigate this level of moral dementia uh, this, this, this girl, I, I don't understand w really fundamentally why we see strength in any of this based on some fundamental, and we're a people of science. Of course, we've learned that the last year. The science is sound. Follow the science. Do, do women understand the science of where babies come from? A. And B, are they accountable to engaging in the behavior? That makes that happen. These seem to be adulting 101 things. Do you, do you have a base fundamental knowledge of how the world works? Are you accountable? Their version of adulthood seems to be to ignore science and to not be accountable for anything. 
that's, the, the world is accountable to them. That's the mark of a woman, not the ones I'm raising. And it's the same kind of person that is now guilty of all the other nonsense that you saw in that video. I told you before we ever heard of a COVID. Once you believe in this transgender thing, you're going to believe in anything. And look at that. Uh, jail. Prison. Um, and that might not be good. And I mean, this this is utter filth. The center cannot hold. This nation has no future unless this stops and it stops quick. Aaron. I, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit in there, like um, what's-his-face, um, the, the the bearded lady. What's-his-nuts. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's a perfect name. Uh, talking about mental and physical health. I think I'm going to go for something that was a little bit subtle, more subtle, I should say. Jimmy Kimmel saying that uh, Florida is America's North Korea. Cut to Andrew Cuomo. Hey, your papers are going to let you live your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Enough said. Beautiful. That is an excellent juxtaposition. How about a headline that came out too late to make your montage? This just now from the Babylon Bee. LeBron James. I love this. Me and my team have decided to boycott the NBA playoffs in the name of social justice. How good is that headline? All right. After they got bounced last night in the first round. All right, let's get to the exit question on a scale of one to 10, with one being Lindsey Graham's love for the American people and 10 being Lindsey Graham's level of globalist cuck. Rate this week's level of total depravity, Todd. 10. Aaron. 20. 20. Paul. In continuing my tradition of protesting your mischaracterization of Lindsey Graham, I'm going to filibuster here and ask you guys a question. Did you know that I own a Jeb 2016? No, you don't. Come on. You want me to hang up on him? Please clap. Yes. (laughs) Frankly, frankly, we can tolerate many of your repugnant views from the other side because it gives us target practice. But that, brother... The, the, the amount of poor taste that is, in, that is indicative there, that is just, that's nearly a cardinal sin. I mean, I, that's, that's appalling. I'm pushing all in today, I decided. So. <laughs> you, if you'd have came on wearing that. That would have been great. That would have been great. Would have been quick, but it would have been great. All right, let's get okay. to issue two, Fauci leaks. Something of a neutron bomb was dropped this week thanks to BuzzFeed News of all places. The outlet published over 3,000 pages of emails to, from, and involving one Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dating from January of 2020 to June of 2020, thanks to a Freedom of Information Act request. The emails show several smoking guns and aw shucks attitude towards the spotlight from Fauci and produced several more questions regarding who knew or suspected what and when they knew it. Most intriguing, perhaps, is a series of emails from around February 1st, 2020. The first email, dated January 31st, is from a scientist at Scripps Research named Christian G. Anderson, who says in part, quote, Some of the features of SARS-CoV-2 potentially look engineered. He goes on to say, I should mention that after discussions earlier today, Eddie, Bob, Mike, and myself all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. The next day, Fauci, referencing a 2015 study from the journal Nature involving bat coronavirus research, carried out in part by at least two scientists known for risky gain-of-function research, 
tells a colleague of his at the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Hugh, it is essential that we speak this morning. Keep your cell phone on. Read this paper as well as the email that I will forward to you now. You will have tasks today that must be done. Thanks, Tony. The individual to whom that email was directed to, Hugh Altrincloss, responds to Fauci later in the day, all but saying he's unsure if the NIH is involved with the research in question. Perhaps the most notable Fauci email comes a few months later, dated April 19, 2020, from one Peter Daschuk to Dr. Fauci. Daschuk is the epidemiologist who controls an organization called EcoHealth Alliance, which received funding from Dr. Fauci's NIAID and promptly turned that funding over to Chinese researchers for what was likely gain-of-function research. Daschuk was also the lone American representative involved in the World Health Organization's probe, if you can call it that, of the Wuhan Institute of Virology just a couple of months ago. Daschuk has been adamant that there was no lab leak this entire past 15 months, calling the idea a conspiracy theory. The April 19th email says in part, quote, Tony, I just wanted to say a personal thank you on behalf of our staff and collaborators for publicly standing up and stating that the scientific evidence supports a natural origin for COVID-19 from a bat to human spillover, not a lab release from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The next section of the email is redacted. Specifically, it's a B7A FOIA exemption, which, according to the FBI, is, quote, records or information compiled for law enforcement purposes, but only to the extent that the production of such law enforcement records or information could reasonably be expected to interfere with enforcement proceedings. The final line of the email from Dashuk states, quote, From my perspective, your comments are brave and coming from your trusted voice will help dispel the myths being spun around the virus's origins. Fauci responds to Dashuk's email, quote, Peter, many thanks for your kind note. Best regards, Tony. So, Aaron, the implication there is that that was redacted under an exemption because that material may very well be currently under some form of a law enforcement inquiry. Unless it's a misprint or something like that, then that's what that means. Yeah. All right. First question, what was your biggest takeaway from the Fauci emails, Todd? You get to go first this time. I think uh, it can't be stressed enough that the press, it's just, it's just been criminally negligent this entire time. Watergate is is arguably the, the, the most famous... Uh, journalism success story that uh, certainly we've been raised on. Think about the the press is is guilty of planning Watergate, organizing Watergate, excusing Watergate, covering up Watergate. It it's the the press has been this is a reverse of Watergate. Everything that. Uh, Steve says, I'm just a guy named Steve all the time. He's not an expert, but he's just done the job of an actual journalist for the last year plus. They could have all done it. They just didn't want to. They're on board with this crime. They have blood on their hands. Aaron, I don't think, mentioned journalism at all on that, but you cannot walk away from that fact. The amount that the public does not know or understand is simply because the press has been cheering on this scam from the very beginning. Paul, your thoughts? Maybe it's because, you know, I stay current with with your show and your work, and I've been spending, you know, over a year following your research, Steve and Todd, so nothing specifically 
blew me out of the water, but I guess similar to Todd, for me, it wasn't any one item or quote from the emails. It was more the media blackout that I found so unsettling. Look, I respect those who want to exercise diligence. It was 3,000 emails, and if you wanted to take the time to carefully read through everything before offering commentary or analyzing its significance, great. If that were the case, you could still just report the story. Share whatever information is available that you've been able to vet. Present the facts and let those facts stand on their own without speculation or injecting your opinions into the story. But the modern day media is not capable of that. That is what a responsible news organization would do. And I'm sorry, but after four years of watching the news media embarrass itself with Russian collusion, Julie Swetnick, Jussie Smollett, Covington Catholic High, and a litany of other baseless stories that were solely used to vilify Trump and sabotage his agenda. We all know that diligence and fact-checking are not high priorities in most of these newsrooms. These emails, at the very minimum, challenged their narratives on the efficacy of masks and the origins of the virus. So rather than expose their viewers to the latest information and uh, allow them to reach their own conclusions, they've chosen to simply black out the story from their broadcasts because to them, the narrative is more important than the news. They're even saying that now. I mean, the, the piece that Vanity Fair put out is it's, it's, a, it's the book of Leviticus long. And there's a lot of great information in there. But it, it, you have to, <laughs> you got to dig around a half dozen times. They try to self-absolute, self-absolve themselves from last year's deviancy with, with, well, we couldn't tell the truth because Orange Man was bad. Well, we didn't want to look like xenophobes and we were helping Trump's xenophobic agenda. That Trump said these things, didn't even know them to be true, just said it him because he hates Asians. I mean, I just, the stuff that's in that article to explain away why they're just now telling us things they could have told us all along. Paul, let me, I, 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 I want your word. Because I spent most of my time last year trying to nudge a lot of my own colleagues on the right to join us in this because they didn't want to do it either because they were getting a narrative from the Trump White House. Don't want to look disloyal. Okay. Several of them, including some huge names, were even interviewing, fawning interviews of Anthony Fauci early on. No names mentioned. You know who they are. Uh, put Scott Gottlieb, who's a complete friggin' big pharma hack on their podcasts and their Twitter accounts as people to follow for legit information. Uh, if this ever happens on the other side and you and 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 we still know each other but from the other direction and you ever sense that just our show in particular i cannot be responsible for an industry or a movement only for the time in which i'm on the air you ever sense we're ducking something that is legit because it goes against our own narrative man by all means you dude call us out on that okay by all means uh, because um, to me, the, the, I just want to know what the truth is. I don't care who it comes from. Uh, ultimately, I'd like it to come from the guys wearing my jersey. But if the choice is the guys wearing my jersey and the, and the truth, I'm choosing the truth every single time. You ever see a time, brother, where you think that ain't the case? By all means, call us out on that. Deal? Look, I think your viewers should know that I reached out to your show because I was a listener of the show despite being a Democrat and working for Tulsi because I've always really respected your willingness to call balls and strikes and to just be consistent whether or not it favors or hurts your side. 
so I, I've never gotten the impression that you've ducked anything that wouldn't be comfortable for your audience to hear. Usually you gleefully embrace it because I think that's part <laughs> of your self-identity and you really yeah. revel in being a truth seeker. That's and, true. Uh, yeah. I really respect that and that's why I continue to come on the show and – you know, I, I will certainly call you out on it, but I don't foresee that happening. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you very much. Aaron, you get the last word. So similar to Paul and Todd, I agree that probably the most striking part of this is the media blackout over it. So so we'll go back to the, the second most uh, striking part. I think something that's been a little bit underreported, someone pointed it out and I cannot remember their names. I'm doing this more often so I could cite them. Um, more kids you have, the worse your memory gets, bro. Just want to warn you. Understood. <laughs> they they correctly deduced going through the emails. There seems to be a marked shift in how Fauci talks about the virus in between the days, roughly of February twenty fourth and February twenty sixth. Now, on February twenty eighth, he wrote in the New England Journal of Medicine comparing COVID nineteen, at least the disease effects. Uh, at large with with the seasonal flu or a pandemic influenza at worst. But but to be published in a journal like that, he would have had to have written that weeks ago uh, before that date. So something changed with Fauci. Obviously, we we said something between February 28th when he wrote that and March 11th when he testified Mm -hmm. in front of of Congress. Now we have a little bit narrower or more narrow of a date there, that date range. Something changed in and around that time. We still have yet to deduce. I, I think some cha- something changed there. But if you're looking for something in those emails, keep your eyes peeled for around that date range. That's, yeah. I think that's probably one of the biggest questions uh, included, maybe the second biggest question uh, with, with the Peter Daszak um, B7A redaction uh, that, was, that was included in that. So that date range still kind of sticks out to me. Exit question. If Fauci's future as a political force were a song from the Beatles' legendary Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album, which was released this week back in 1967, which song would it be? A, with a little help from my friends. B, getting better, in parentheses, all the time. Or C, fixing a hole, meaning the one we're going to put him in. What do you think, Todd? A, with a little help from my friends. Paul, what do you think? A. Aaron. A. Hmm. We'll see. You might be right right now, but there is there there there's going to come a pivot point where these blue state governors are going to have to Gretchen Whitmer and Gavin Newsom. Whitmer's now facing a recall. They need a rationale for the. They need someone to blame for the decisions they made last year. They need someone to blame for that. Some rationale to justify it. And to me. If, if I were working in their offices, the easiest rationale is we were just following Anthony Fauci. Just put it on him. That's what I would tell him to do. Why accept the blame yourself? Just put it on them. And at some point in time, don't you think they got to have something to justify the ridiculous lockdowns that they put their people through? Uh, a good time for us to tell you, by the way, about our friends over at Omega XL. If you are struggling with chronic pain, not the boo-boo that Todd did to his back yesterday, but uh, the the stuff that, you know, that aching, stiffness, soreness, you just wake up with all the time, uh, knee, back, shoulders, uh, they seem to be, uh, and the neck, they, they seem to be the, the areas that are the most... 
um, the most concentrated where this is concerned. Of course, for me, you know me, I got to be concerned about everything. My knee, back, necks, uh, neck, and uh, I don't have one more than one neck. Uh, my knee, back, uh, neck, and shoulders are just fine. It's this pesky left hip flexor. That's my issue. But whatever yours happens to be, chances are inflammation is the issue, and that's why you want an all-natural anti-inflammatory that'll confront the inflammation that's causing your pain, and you're going to find one called Omega XL, backed by 35 years of clinical research. It is the anti-inflammatory that I use, and I would highly recommend that you give it a shot as well. See if it doesn't do for you what it's done for me. And right now, you can do so with a buy one, get one free, buy one bottle, get a second one for free. When you visit OmegaXL.com slash Steve, that's OmegaXL.com slash Steve, or you can give them a call at 800-844-4888. Since we have a Democrat here, let's just ask him. Paul, I, I, give me, can you give me a 30-second answer before this next break? At what point does he become, do, do these blue state governors facing political fights blame him for these unpopular policies, that we just followed his advice? Do, do, do they need a rationale? The media thinks, the media has given us a retcon. Well, we didn't tell you the truth because of Trump. What's going to be blue state governor's retcon? What's going to be their explanation? I mean, I think if they are going to throw him under the bus, it will come around September, October of this year when they're facing re-election and they need to go into self-preservation mode because an offensive from a Republican challenger is... Uh, is is successful and and challenging their political livelihood. So you know that's. But you think it's still too early yet? Okay, I got you. All right, we'll come back more of the roundtable here in a moment. You know where? You know what? Somewhere out there, someone's saying a prayer. That we'll find one. Another. I'm sorry. No, I'm, somewhere out there, someone has not tried Built Bar. And I don't know when this thing's coming out. Okay, I, I just tried this Grasshopper Cookie Bar again. I mentioned the other day. I brought another one with me today. Just had it during the break. I mean, if 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 I cut that into pieces, your kids came to my house on trick or treat night. And I had that individual, like a fun size of that protein bar and handed it out. Your kids would have no clue that that is not a candy bar. That is how good that is. Almost, at some point they will fail. No one's perfect, all right? Even Babe Ruth struck out sometimes, all right? At some point they will fail. So I'm going to say that's true of almost every flavor they do. This is the best protein bar you have ever had. You've had candy bars that aren't this good. All right, now, just to, because I, this was show research, we have little fun size 100 grand bars out front. So just for show research, and you know that's one of my favorites, right? All right. Yes. So I, I ate one of those. Again, this is just strictly for show research. Of course. Um, I ate one of those. We need a control group. We've been talking about the lack of control groups on this show for like the last year, right? So I ate a, a 100 grand bar after I had my built bar. I'm just going to tell you right now, man, I, I love that 100 grand bar. That grasshopper cookie built bar was better than that. That's how good that was. That's a yo. That's a yo. All right. So if you want to try built bar, my birthday cake is arriving today. So I should have a report for you on Monday. 
Uh, go to BuiltBar.com. B-U-I-L-T. B-U-I-L-T is how it's spelled for BuiltBar.com. Fits in uh, low, I mean, that, that grasshopper cookie protein bar I just had, 150 calories. That's it. All right. So whether it's low calorie, low carb, low sugar, whatever healthy lifestyle you're trying to fit more into your lifestyle, Built Bar fits right in as well. Promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E for BuiltBar.com and get 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Let's get back to our weekly look at the week that was with issue three, critical racist theory. We have our own view of critical race theory, that it's essentially Marxism in a different colored leotard. It's as if someone went through the communist manifesto, used the find and replace function on Microsoft Word, and swapped out the words the rich for the white. But what do the race baiters think critical race theory is? Author Robin D'Angelo, a white woman whose seminal work is entitled White Fragility and who, coincidentally, is known to charge over $10,000 per speaking engagement, might be a good person to ask. First, she says to be white means... To be functionally illiterate on the topic of race. I am white, uh, and part of being white is that I was not raised to see myself in racial terms. I mean, I understood that somebody had race, but not really me. To be white is to see oneself outside of race, to see oneself as a unique, special individual, exempt from the forces of socialization. Secondly, she says this about America. I now understand racism as a system, as a deeply embedded system, a system that our country was founded on and that all our institutions were created out of. And every institution reinforces this system. Thirdly, she says this about individualism. Dominant culture asks if I'm racist. And I want to change that question to how have I been shaped by the forces of racism? How is racism manifesting in my life? Because it circulates 24-7, 365. None of us can be and none of us were exempt from its forces. And this is where individualism can come in. I have a particular story, but that story didn't exempt me. And so I can ask myself, how did all the things I see as unique about me set me up into the overall racist structure because it did. So that's a pretty good summation. If you're white, there's automatically something wrong with you. America is fundamentally and foundationally racist, and it's impossible to judge the individual, so we must instead judge the collective. First question, Paul. I was born to a 15-year-old mom. We lived in the literal white trash side of town. We were on food stamps, CDC, welfare. I did reduced lunches almost all the way into high school. Um, uh, I lived in an abusive home at times. My biological barely bothered. Uh, I flunked out of college. My mom had to get a GED because you got thrown out of school for being pregnant and unwed in her time. Um, can you explain to me at what point... In that line of a, in that line of a chain of evidence that I just presented to you, my own life, can you explain to me when I was the benefactor of white privilege? Well, that is a loaded topic. Uh, I, uh, I I need to admit that when I, I saw this on the rundown, I was thoroughly confused. So now having watched the lead-in video, I'll, I'll try to formulate a coherent answer for you. Look, I, I would never consciously treat someone differently or discriminate against them based on the color of their skin. I don't think any of you would either. 
But can I tell you with 100% certainty that I have absolutely no unconscious racial biases? No, I think very few people could. And implicit bias is by no means exclusive to white people either. I wanna make that clear. So I, I guess I just reject this false choice of America being either irredeemably racist or one or a country where racism no longer is an issue. If, if you wanna focus more narrowly on critical race theory, and whether or not that sort of thing should be taught in our schools, I should probably start by admitting to your audience that I don't have a deeply nuanced understanding of, of what that entails, so I'd rather not make this performative and, and pretend otherwise. But I know there's been discussion of incorporating the 1619 Project into school curriculums and that the two are somewhat related, so I, I guess I'll just say this. We should not teach our children that modern-day America is a systemically racist and oppressive country that was founded on ideals not worth preserving. Nor should we feed them whitewashed propaganda that diminishes the pain and suffering of those who have been oppressed totally in this agree. country yep. under the false guise of patriotism. Like there's a we column should... from Tom Hanks out, or maybe it's a statement I saw earlier today, saying, I never knew about this Tulsa massacre, and maybe if we had things like critical race theory when I was in school, people would have taught. So you, you could not have possibly learned. We couldn't have taught that terrible things were done to people who didn't deserve it in our nation's history, specifically because they belong to a certain racial or socioeconomic group. There is no way to teach that. That's a false choice to me. There, there is no way to teach that without immediately projecting upon the people who may look like those people, but therefore they bear those exact same uh, doubts and sins and uh, and baggage. There's no other way to teach that, Paul. We have to. We it has to be either or. It cannot be. Both both two things can't be true at the exact same time. We have to we've got to cost shift the the racial degradation from one group to the other in order to that seems more like we're we're going to get even with people than we're going to make things equal to me. Yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. There should not be a political agenda infused into how we teach our country's history. The facts should stand on their own. Um, you know, I, I one of my best friends is a New York City public school teacher. She's not an ideologue, but she, her, her school demographics are primarily Hispanic and, and black children. Um, and I, I know that there is some frustration with her students that they don't feel represented well enough in U.S. history and that all the stories are about, you know, European whites and they don't feel like they've really contributed to the history of this country. So I, I'm not suggesting that certain issues in curriculum shouldn't be addressed and that we should strive to, to represent everyone as best as possible, but the total demonization and reframing of history to suggest that America is this evil and oppressive place when we've freed more people out of slavery than any other country in the world and lifted more people out of poverty through the free market system is just a fallacy. Uh, and that's not something that I think any of us should tolerate. Well said. Todd, how racist are you? Depends on who you ask, clearly. Uh, but, but here's the, the standard that's uh, applied here by uh, witches like uh, the white fragility uh, woman. They, they don't apply them in any other circumstance of going overseas and living in their land then it's about see that's a, it it doesn't go both ways with them then you take it on their terms 
Why? So if I go over to Japan, if she went over to Japan, she's like, don't you just appreciate the culture, the diversity, you know, whatever. It'd be a totally different thing. What? But why doesn't your standard apply then? You shouldn't they hate themselves? Shouldn't you going over there as a bare minority demand mm -hmm. that your story be told? Why? This is ins this is insane. You know that video we haven't shown for a while where the uh, women are moaning in the forest over the death of the old growth and they scream? <laughs> that is more sane than that witch who wrote that book called White Fragility. Is there There is something uniquely demonic about getting rich as a white person. I mean, that's just a demonic troll, man. Getting rich as a white person, writing a book about uh, dunking on white people as racist when you yourself are one at the exact same yes. time. Yes. Aaron. Man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to go, uh, ways to go with this. Um, how racist am I? Um, ask Robin D'Angelo and she'd say asked and, and answered um, your racistness. I, I, we talked about this a little bit on the overtime the other day, and I'll, I'll repeat it now. I mean, critical race theory really just is Marxism warmed over. It, it really is. It's just replacing the boogeyman of the capitalist pig, the rich, uh, the wealthy of society, replacing that boogeyman with the white person. And that's, that, that's really all, all there is to it. And as Todd was saying, if this ran both ways, we could have maybe a conversation about that. In fact, in this day and time, day and age, um, th there, there might be some good conversations to be had, but it doesn't go both ways. It's only one skin color that you'll ever say is something fundamentally wrong with it, which is in and of itself, as you cleverly titled and have been using publicly now, racist in and of itself mm -hmm. if you assert something based on the color of your skin that something is inherently different about you as a character matter as a knowledge matter but especially as a character matter which is being done that is racism that's racism at its at its heart but similar to infrastructure similar as to what's a woman similar as to fill in the blank words don't have meaning anymore and racism like bjork on snl racism is everything this guy is everything is racism everything is racist you heard her say that multiple times yes she is the seminal and i would say ibram x i think is the name of the dude they are the seminal figures of critical race theory of of anti anti-racism in this country right now along with a few others who have championed the 1619 project as well and um that it, it's it's a poison it's a poison it's a virus that must be excised or else that virus will bring everyone down with it all right very quickly rate these things in order from most racist to least Fondly eulogizing a former Grand Cyclops of the KKK at his funeral. Uh, donating money to race baiter Al Sharpton. So the first one's Biden, the second one's Trump. Uh, believing black people are too stupid to obtain a photo ID. That's most of a current major American political party. Todd. The uh, last one, the ID is the most racist, followed by the KKK, and then donating money to Al Sharpton. Paul, what do you think? Rank those from most racist to least. 
When in doubt, Al Sharpton is always the most racist. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't. There was really like no wrong answers to any of these. Aaron? Uh, the first and third are tied for the most. The second one, or are tied for the least because they're Democrats. The, first, the second one is, is the most because it's a Republican. All right. I, uh, do we have time to do issue four with predictions? Uh, just very, very quickly. Very quickly. All right. So Joe Biden, we've had this clip in the in, in the open, went full Wooderson from uh, uh, Dazed and Confused. That's Matthew McConaughey's character. All right. Um, predict what will be his next cringe moment, Todd, quickly. Uh, oh, gosh, it's going to have to it's going to be a little girl. And I don't I don't even want to imagine beyond that. But Paul, what's the next cringe from old Dementia Joe? I'm going to respectfully pass on this one. I, I don't want to. <laughs> we hear you, Aaron. I think it'll be something involving Kamala Harris. Will that be racist? According to her. Yeah, well, yeah, yes, okay. All right, predictions. Aaron, go ahead. I say by the end of the summer now, um, Dr. Anthony Fauci, Lord Farquaad, will be on his way out the door. From whatever door that is, but he'll be on the way out the door. They circled the wagons this week. But I think as more and more calls and more and more publicizing of his foibles goes, I I think he's there's before the end of the summer is out. I think he's out. I found I did. I agree. They circled the wagons. It seemed like a tepid circling, though. Just a little statement. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Aaron. I'm sorry, Todd. He's not going out the door, though, without a presidential medal of freedom. I could see something, some kind of parting gift. That was my prediction, anyways. He's gonna. That's the. They're gonna gloss it. They're gonna put so much lipstick on that pig. Yeah, I I could see something like that. Paul, what's your prediction this week? Progressive PACs will spend more money trying to primary Kirsten Sinema than they will to challenge Ron DeSantis. Hmm, that is an (laughs) interesting prediction. Prediction. That's a good one. Uh, my prediction is, and I want to get a quick take from Paul on this before we get out of here. If Democrats lose the House next year, Nancy Pelosi will retire. She had already said this was going to be her last term as Speaker, not as a, a House member, but mm-hmm. as Speaker. So I don't think it's a stretch that she would simply retire from, from Congress. Okay. All right. So I guess it wasn't as good a prediction as I thought. All right. So, Paul, thank, good to see you, man. Thanks for joining us as always. All right. Take care. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Oh, how'd that go? Do you guys think? Did it go okay? It went outstanding. Did it? What would what would happen if he would have showed up with the Jeb Bush sh- shirt actually on? We would have just quit all of our jobs and given it to him, probably. Yes. The the troll level is is outstanding. That that yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I already muted him. <laughs> Please clap. <laughs> yes. I actually respect the fact that they're going harder after Kirsten Cinema than Ron DeSantis. That, uh, frankly, them doing things like that is how they've driven the Democratic Party in the direction that they want, right? They're like, hey, we elect our... They're, they're actually holding their own to a higher standard than... Are you, are you sure it's not just simple anti-bisexual bigotry? Well, that only works one way. You you know that. Yes, of course. We'll come back with some Feedback Friday here next. And we're back live and on demand, but let's face it, not all that much in demand. Here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. That's right. We're the show they hired because they couldn't get anybody else. 
My name is Steve Dace. Todd Erzin is here with me as well as Aaron McIntyre. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the show. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. MeWe, Parlor Gab. Look for my name there. And then you can also look for clips of the program at Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. And if you are a podcast listener, we're looking for you to leave us a five-star review. Hit that subscribe button on whichever platform you podcast us through because the more of you that do that, apparently it helps. If nothing else, we just appreciate the sentiment. And thank you to all of you that have done that already. And if you have not done so, please consider doing that for us today. It is time for some Feedback Friday brought to you by Home Title Lock. We've been warning you about home title theft on the show for the past couple of years now. This is where cyber thieves remove you from your home's title so that they can become the new owner. We recommended you get Home Title Lock in the eventuality that this could happen to you. Say, I don't know, a major, maybe the largest platform in the country suffers a, a major data breach and suddenly your name, address, personal information that you use to identify as yourself online is now fully uh, open and available to cyber thieves. Say that happened. Oh, wait, it just did. To Facebook, 500 million accounts uh, have been exposed and now cyber thieves have the data they need. Uh, to log in as you on online where your home's title is kept, claim you have sold your home to them on a quick claim deed, and then liquidate all that equity, sticking you with eviction, foreclosure, late payment notices. Don't let that happen to you. So take advantage right now of this special offer from Home Title Lock during this high-risk breach. Uh, HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code radio for 30 free days of protection. HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code radio for 30 free days of protection. You guys ready for some Feedback Friday? Always. Let's begin with Edward J. Ormsby. He says, I'm an attorney. Of course you are, brother, with a name like that. Uh, I, I am an attorney with a law degree from Georgetown and 27 years of experience. I'm also the county attorney, I want to make sure I get this right, for Kiyosakwa, or Kiyosasko, Kiyosakwa. Casiasco. That's what it is. I got it. I was even practicing this during the break and I still bombed. Casiasco County in Indiana. Uh, on May 26th, the county commissioners adopted a resolution for healthcare freedom and privacy against COVID-19 immunization passports or vaccine passports. As I drafted this resolution, I was able to provide information that I've often heard you make on your show and also in your best-selling book, Fauci and Bargain. I wanted to personally thank you for your hard work and perseverance on this issue, which made my job much easier. Godspeed to all of you and keep up the good work. Damn. That's pretty cool. So let's look this up really quick. Tell me your thoughts while I look it up. I'm going to see how many people live in this county in Indiana. All right. Well, it it speaks to the importance of how we framed the book as a weapon uh, it, it it wasn't meant to be a rhetorical weapon, and we're pretty good at that, but it was meant to be a factual, data-driven weapon. And listen, attorneys get a lot of bad rap, but when they do their job right, that's what they're supposed to be uh, ultimately doing. I mean, a, a prosecutor, by the way, by definition, it, it is not supposed to be taking any side other than the truth. And I don't know ultimately what kind of law this guy uh, practices, but it, that's a sign of respect that this he viewed this as an objective 
tool, mm-hmm. an objective weapon. It, it's not merely if shirts versus skins, winning a political fight. Um, that's refreshing to hear. Lawyers are vital. Yes. That, that's why the first place that one of the first places the spirit of the age went was Harvard Law at the end of the 19th century. Mm. Uh, they, they went the spirit of the age went right to the source of the river, the most decorated law school in America, where more uh, influence is wielded from that trickles down from that law school to any other all the other law schools in the country to varying degrees. And so the, one of the first places the spirit of the age went was um, when the uh, uh, they took over. Uh, Harvard Law, or began invading Harvard Law in the late 19th century. That was one of its first frontal assaults. I mean, lawyers are, um, we can't be, we can't have any sort of uh, rule of law without what? Lawyers, right? Well, They're vital. That's why they were one of the very first institutions that got corrupted by the spirit of the age. It knew that even better than us. And you made your bones saying how ultimately the, and this was before COVID and transgenderism, but, but saying that the court's were ultimately the biggest issue, ultimately because it, every issue we fight on ultimately mm-hmm. just, just ends, ends up, up there. there, even if we're right and they say we're wrong, right. and they're redefining reality. Right. 80,000 people, by the way, live in this county. So that's a lot of people that uh, mm-hmm. we were able to assist in, in helping to keep them free. So we are very honored, Edward. Thank you very much for and, and even passing that along. We would have been just fine if you just did it without telling us. But the fact that you threw a helmet sticker our way, we're even more appreciative. So thank you very much. Um, All right. Perk up for this email. You guys ready? Uh-oh. You bet. I guess. Okay. Not that the last one was terrible, right? But this one. I wanted to share some insight from inside the science establishment. I'm guessing you know this already, but I wanted to show you an example of just how much the spirit of the age has permeated the hard sciences. These are this week's editorials in the the aptly named Worldview section of Nature, which is probably the most prestigious scientific journal in the world. Headline, Tackling Systemic Racism Requires the System of Science to Change. Headline, universal healthcare must be a priority, even amid COVID. Headline, media bias delegitimizes black rights protesters. These are headlines in a recent issue of Nature magazine. In addition, the American Association of Immunologists, that's the Professional Society for Immunologists, just named Dr. Fauci their Exceptional Leadership in Science Award winner. Your audience needs to understand just how given over all, and he writes this in all caps, all of sciences are to the spirit of the age. This must forever be factored in for all of your opinions of the expert class. They are cultists. They think they are smarter than you and they want to rule you. That is from Charles Schutt, PhD, specialty appointed researcher at the Research Institute for Microbial Diseases in Osaka, at Osaka University in Suta, Japan. All right, I want some thoughts on that, especially given who the author of that note is. There is no singular institution that I can think of that has not been completely or at least 85 to 90% given over to the spirit of the age. And we have to get it in our minds, folks, about the nature of who the enemy is and who represents them and or controls them. 
they live on a separate, maybe a parallel, if you want to call it that, plane of reality than you do. They're not convinced by any of your arguments, for the most part, data-based or otherwise, because they're coming from a completely different starting point. We share nothing with them because they don't want to share anything with us. We don't even share in their minds the same country. And if we do, if we can even get them to, 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 to admit that we're still part of the same country, the part that we come from, it should be gone. It should be done away with. They want to share nothing with us because they actually share nothing in common with us. Um, that's, I, I don't know if there's really a whole lot more to say than that. Hard science, like the journals there. That's supposed to be hard science, not science, like data, things like that. They're coming to these conclusions. They're not really conclusions, they're just screeds of, of the spirit of the age. Science um, is not an institution, but if it was, I mean, it's, if, it, if it stood for science, the process, it's been long gone. And the last 15 months should have made that painfully, painfully clear. I think you bring up a good point about stressing the term hard science. For people that don't know what that means, it doesn't mean that these subjects are harder than others. They're all hard. Um, What it means is that these are things that are not accepted into the mainstream or uh, into scientific doctrine unless they have been tested and validated through observation and experimentation. That's what it means, that these aren't theoretical things. Like a, like a philosophy could be a, it would, may not be a hard science, or a political science may not be a hard science. These are things that have been vetted and have been tested, and so they are objectively true, verifiably true. And what he is saying is the places where you go to get verified truth aren't offering that any longer. And oh, by the way, I looked it up while you were talking as well, Aaron. Osaka University is rated number 72 in the world, okay, um, at, at the world university rankings. In the world. That's a that's a very high-ranked university. Todd, what are your thoughts? Well, 9-11 could have been a point of clarity, but as we talked about on this show, it became cause for increasing levels of folly, uh, endless war, uh, notions of Muslim bans uh, for just doing, you know, basic things that... Not importing countries from that that do terrorism. Yes. Uh, This, what we've seen with both gender and then with COVID are 9-11 events. And we can plan on two decades of hell coming out of that akin to what we've experienced post 9-11 and not not clarifying anything if if we don't change and at the end of that 20 years as steve has said before i'm not sure if there's going to be a country left anymore the that's aaron aaron's point again is so important we're talking we People who are supposed to be fundamentally interested in objectivity have a totally different sense of reality from you. 
that's when you end up in final solution territory. This is when Nazi analogies are absolutely appropriate. Wake up, because there's a reason at the end of our book, in our conclusion, we talked about how there were rumors going on there within the Jewish community as bit by bit they were gathered, they were confined, things were taken away, the walls were closing in, but no one could quite believe those rumors of what was happening in those gas chambers. Believe. There is evil out there that does not sleep unless good men and women rise and do something about it. Don't race to turn back to normal. Normal sucked. We need a new normal. Let's broaden what um, what what our scientist friend just shared with us. What he's really saying is in the places where understanding our natural world and both its perils and blessings and how those apply to how we should live our lives. Um, understanding technology and how that should be applied and to what extent. These are very serious things, mm-hmm. right? That would literally impact to some extent all 8 billion people that live on this yes. third rock from the sun, right? Yes. What he's saying is The truth is irrelevant in those places. Only their truth is relevant. The truth is irrelevant. Anything that were to interfere with that truth is chloroformed. That it's just all narrative. It's not that the truth is is difficult to acquire or discern. It is rejected. It's it's the difference, you know, we've had this argument for decades as a country, what's constitutional and unconstitutional? Can can someone look at the general welfare clause and decide if that means we should have some form of a, a great society safety net, all right? That would be an argument for a constitutional or unconstitutional system, especially because we already amended the constitution prior to that debate for a a progressive style of an income tax, which kind of set the stage for this next launching point. I mean, now that we're collecting all this money and we all agree we punitively punish those who have more, I'm not saying those who have more shouldn't pay more. In God's economy, they did. It's just everybody paid the same rate. Okay, so in Israel, if you were rich, 10% of what you had was a heck of a lot more than if you were a widow with 10%, a poor widow, right? Y'all paid the same rate. No one was treated differently because they had less or more. But obviously, the 10% to somebody who's rich is a lot more than 10% to somebody who's yes. not, right? Yes. So the rich still paid more in that system, right? Yes. But they weren't told, you pay a higher rate, you're punished as a result of your success. They, the meritocracy was not diluted, correct? Correct. Correct. So we already set the stage for a great society when we amended the Constitution for the income tax, the progressive one. So you, someone could then make, a con, since we said, hey, this is now constitutional, it's not a huge leap. I don't agree with it, 
But it, but I mean, I don't have to hate America to then say, well, now that we're collecting all this money, we're starting with the premise that you should be punished if you're more successful. That should therefore, vis-a-vis -vis by extension mean, we should then reward the people who are less successful, right? Right. That's That, that could be a standard constitution, unconstitutional argument, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have those arguments any longer. We're not debating what's unconstitutional. We're debating what's anti-constitutional. We're not attempting to stretch the boundaries of the original meaning and intent of the Constitution in order to conform to modern predilections and preferences. Which was inevitable. That part was always yeah, going that's, to happen. That's the human condition. Yes. And that's why they gave us an amendment process. Yes. That's why they did that, right? But this part wasn't this, inevitable. Th this was, yeah, this was not inevitable. This is the idea that we would specifically craft things in order to undo our way of life, right. in order to toss aside the Constitution as any impediment to our vision quest and wish casting whatsoever. We would run it over, basically. We wouldn't make it malleable or stretch it here or bend it there. No, we would shred it. We'd put it through a shredding machine. That's anti. I'm against the Constitution. Maybe my, my interpretation might be wrong, right? We've got denominations that believe if they do not baptize children, you belong to one of them. If they do not baptize children, their souls are imperiled even as youth. We have that in Protestantism as well. We have other denominations who believe since there is no infant, not a single infant baptism that occurs anywhere in the scriptures, we're not doing one either. Now, we're still left with the question if we all agree that human beings are all born into sin, right? So then we still are trying to navigate this dispute, which is why there's a lot of, there's a, 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 you know, I don't know, a couple thousand year argument over this question. Do we baptize infants or not? Okay. That is a question and a debate that depending on which side of it you are on, you may view one side as unorthodox and the other and your side as orthodox. Correct? Sure. But then there are attempts to just, what if we just said, we don't think really anybody needs to be baptized because nobody's really a sinner. You're fine just on your own. We would now, now both sides of the infant yeah. baptism argument would look at each other and look right. at the person making that argument and say, oh, hell no. Take, you know, we'll get back to killing each other. Take them out first because they're the real problem. We'll get back to killing each other after we're done taking that trash out to the curb, right? Yes. Because that's not a question of what's orthodoxy and unorthodoxy. That's anti-orthodoxy. That is heterodoxy is what that is. That is heresy. The intent of that assertion is to undo the fundamental that you're, these other, the two sides were previously arguing about how to apply it. See the point I'm trying Absolutely. to make here? It's a we, good one. This is what we did on the Constitution in this country for generations. The debate we now have is, uh, uh, it, everybody's Cheech and Chong now. Isn't that it back on a bumper, man? Okay. The reason the spirit of the age got ambushed here in the last few months is because all of a sudden after Trump lost and, and the data started coming in that made it a lot easier for them to make the case they should have been making at this time last year, a whole bunch of red state governors suddenly decided, wow, we got a constitution, let's use that thing. And now the spirit of the age doesn't know what to do. So it's kind of retreating now and it's kind of looking for... All right, we'll walk away. Just give us something. Give us the uh, the kid, the youth vaccination, or the right. It's it's negotiating its way out of this because it's it got it didn't know what to do when a, a group actually stood up and said, you know, you really don't have the right to do these kinds of things to people, even if the data is bad. But now that the data is good, it's really easier to make this case. So we're going to make it now when it could have made the same case a year ago, right? Yes. So the Constitution is still there. It does still work. It's just that we almost never work it, right? Yes. Yeah.
We have arguments about all kinds of things other than what it actually says. Our buddy Josh Hammer today has a piece out for whatever's left of the conservative wing of the Harvard Law Review. And I, I read through as much of it as I could because it is long, but you would expect it. It's the Harvard Law Review. But it's basically an epistle to American exceptionalism. He he runs down. Um, he, he answers a question. Josh is Jewish, but this is very similar to what St. Stephen does in the book of Acts, where he answers challenges to the claim of Jesus' Messiahship by tracing the old, the, the entire lineage of, the, of Jewish history up until this particular moment and tying it into Christ. That's what Josh does when he answers the question about uh, how conservatives should be salvaging, saving the Constitution. He goes to the very genesis of the, and traces the line of thought of what common good originalism meant from the very beginning. Here's the thing, though. And I think it was Ted Cruz was involved in the D.C. versus Heller case. And it was either, that was the gun case uh, about uh, the D.C. law about 10 years ago. And it was Ted or somebody else wrote um, an argument that just defended the original intent of the Second Amendment. It's just, it's, it's, it's incontrovertible. This is all documented. It's all well known. The founders didn't just leave breadcrumbs, man. They left open books for us to trace back on these kinds of topics, right? And yet, despite all of the actual facts and data and precedent that were cited in favor of preserving the Second Amendment to the Constitution, four justices to the U.S. Supreme Court said, we don't care. We vote against. Because they didn't, they weren't here arguing about how to fit their belief system within the framework of a constitution. If the constitution is in the way, it has to go. A buddy of mine uh, had Jim Wallace, who's a fake evangelical leader, who's a socialist, he's a Marxist. And he brought uh, Jim on his radio show years ago to debate him. And this buddy of mine kept pointing out that everything Jim, just kept asking Jim, hey, we're in the Constitution. Are you allowed to do this? Do any of this? Like, we're in the Constitution. You're allowed to tithe with other people's money. I mean, where's any of this at? And he had no answers. And so they get done with the interview. The debate takes place during the break, and it goes out into the hallway as he's walking him out. And now Wallace is incensed. He's mad because he got his pants pulled down on this show. And the, the final thing Wallace says to this buddy of mine before he gets on the elevator and leaves, he says, we don't care if it's constitutional. We're going to do it anyway. That's anti-constitutional. That's not people of, of conscience can have in their open hand can have even bitter dis- debates and discussions about matters. And, and, and to the point that even fellowship has to break because you can't get over that. No. My intent is to end what you're trying to defend. I'm against the fundamental premise of what you're trying to defend. In the infant baptism argument I gave, both sides agree that human that, that human beings need a- absolution for their sins, and and that they should they should uh, engage in an outward demonstration of their own recognition of this. The debate is over at what stage of human development should that expectation be required. Correct? Yes. But no one's denying we're we're coming out of the womb here, not to, you know. Uh, not to pristine, right? Right. Right. 
But then the heresy, the heretic comes along, Pelagius comes along and says, you don't need any of that. You're good to go on your own. You're just fine on your own. That's what we're doing now with the Constitution. We're just undermining its fundamentals on purpose. And what this gentleman here at Osaka University says that this is going on in the hard sciences systemically everywhere. Like, don't trust them on anything. Because there is no, there, 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 is a, there is a shrinking group of people that even if they don't agree with your assertions, if you can make fact-based claims, they will at least entertain them on the, on the merits. But the rising tide of the spirit of the age says, uh, we, what Jim Wallace said to my buddy, we don't care if it's the science. We're going to do it anyway. And we don't, we, we don't care if it li- lines up with the natural laws. We're doing it anyway. We're doing, and we don't care if it lines up with your data. We're doing it anyway. This is why we have to get as conservatives, and for those of us that work in conservative media, but then this also applies to you as customers. You know, one of the reasons there's such a, a tendency for us to feed you low-lying fruit and, and snacks out of Vendo land is because, frankly, a lot of you as consumers prefer take the Esau approach. I'm, I'm hungry right now. Give me some own the libs right now. I need it right now as opposed to a serious conversation about the stuff that's actually threatening us as a people. That's why there's so much content where we just sit around on conservative media and just point out the hypocrisy of, of the spirit of the age all day long and show they have no self-awareness. They don't mean what they say. They're total hypocrites. Like we just did this and I, I'll just call myself to account. I just did this last hour about, about uh, what's her face, Rob, Robin D'Angelo, right? The white fragile and pointed out, well, she's a white one. I'm pointing out... If, I, if Robin D'Angelo was here and I pointed all those things out to her, what would her action, reaction be? She wouldn't care. It would not be, oh, I should have had a V8, you're right. I'm white. I'm actually criticizing myself. I'm a total hypocrite here. It wouldn't be that. She doesn't care. She's in a cult. And so we're still running this like 2010 playbook of let's just own the libs and point out all the hypocrisies and the fallacies of all their arguments. But who's winning here, though? Who's on offense collectively in the culture right now? Not us. It ain't us. There's two sides here. One side is on on the offensive, and the other side is called not us. Okay? I mean, so there's only leaves one option. So then apparently maybe um, when you're up against an enemy who disregards any fundamental claim of truth, any first thing, and not only denies them, but does it willfully, meaning knows that they are there and doesn't care. Like Jim Wallace said to my buddy, we're just going to do it anyway. We're just going to do it anyway. You better adjust your tactics than up against an enemy like that. You best understand that this isn't like a jury trial and whoever presents the best evidence wins. You may not even get to trial, brah. Not to mention who's picking the jury pool because they control most of the media and academia too. You better adjust your tactics accordingly. And that goes for those of us on the producer end here in conservative media. And then for all of you within the sound of my voice right now on the consumer end of it. As much as we have applauded the rising tide of the Andrew Sullivan's and the Naomi Wolf's and the Bill Mars and then people who are even colleagues of ours who are further in this transition, like a Dave Rubin, I'm going to be on his show later today, for example. All right. As much as we applaud those examples and we should and we're right to do so. Right. Yes. Um, are, are there a lot of those examples? No. No. 
Are there more than we thought? Yeah. Are there as many as we need? No. Nope. This is the untouchables. What are you prepared yeah. to do? What are you prepared to do with someone who says, I don't care. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Right? We're having the Alfred Bruce Wayne talk in the compound in the dark night. We gave that, the tribal leader, we gave him all the rubies and everything. He didn't care. Because some men just want to watch the world burn. What do you do against an enemy like that? First, you got to acknowledge you're up against an enemy like that, right? Yeah. I think we're kind of beginning collectively to get this here. And that's a good thing, okay? And then what's going to need to happen next is a serious conversation then about how to respond and how to counter that doesn't cost us our own souls in the process. Any thoughts on that really quick? Either one of you. Say that this is Harry Potter territory and you can send your emails to me this time. Say the name Voldemort. All right. I love that scene in the fourth movie where finally Harry Potter says, this is my destiny. He says, fine, have it your way. And he turns instead of running and he fights and the whole tide changes from then on. Hmm. That was Aaron's favorite part of the show today. Yeah, that was for him. Yeah, thank yes. you. All right. We'll come back with some more feedback Friday here in a moment. Did you know the average American has a lot? For some of us, maybe up to 100 points we could add to our credit score, but maybe no idea how to do that, how to access them. That's where the the data scientists at ScoreMaster come in because they have cracked the code on how. Adding that kind of juice to your credit score makes a big difference, both in do you get the approval you want on that home or that auto or that business loan or even if you can get approved, what about the terms, the loan, uh, the repayment, uh, the interest rate, et cetera? Not to mention a lot of employers are looking at credit scores these days as well. Uh, ScoreMaster is so easy, it takes about a minute to get started. And if you hurry, you can try to get ScoreMaster uh, for free right now. That's right, ScoreMaster for free. See how many plus points you can add to your credit score right this minute when you go to scoremaster.com slash Steve. That's scoremaster, just like it sounds. Scoremaster.com slash Steve. One more time, scoremaster.com slash Steve. Let's continue on with Feedback Friday. This is from Peter Gertensen, D.O., which I believe is doctor of, oste- is it uh, osteopathy? Is that what it's, or osteopathy? How's that pronounced? D.O. Osteopathy? Osteopathy, thank you. Uh, in the U.S. Army. He writes, you keep asking what changed with Fauci between late February and mid-March that made him go from it's the flu to everyone is going to die. The key is in the second part. Everyone will die without a vaccine. Moderna's vaccine tested in Fauci's lab passed phase one approval in late February, beginning of March. Is that true? I'd not heard that. I'd not heard that either. Can you verify if that's true? I will try. Yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me do that real Because quick. that would be, yo, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're talking just, when was the, in fact, let me look this up right now. I'm going to look this up while you tell me your thoughts on this, Todd. I'm going to look up when was COVID <laughs> declared a pandemic. My thoughts... As I've said, the worst case scenarios we need to be thinking about are February 24th. Sorry, Todd. No, please. Moderna ships MR. This is February 24th, 2020. 
Moderna ships mRNA vaccine against novel coronavirus for phase one study. That's from Moderna's website. All right, what date was that? February 24th. February 25th from biospace.com. Moderna's coronavirus vaccine ready for clinical trials. See, hold up now, guys. February 26th, Novavax advances development of novel COVID-19 vaccine. Do you guys know when this was declared a pandemic? March 11th. What else happened on March 11th? Fauci's testimony. Fauci's testimony on at Congress that basically shut the world down. So World Health Organization declares this a pandemic. Same day Fauci is speaking before Congress. Totally changing his tune. Remember, March 8th, the previous Sunday, was the day that Fauci was on 60 Minutes talking about masks are silly. Now, of course, they didn't do that interview March 8th, but they didn't do it like February 28th either. They probably did that interview probably that week. Probably not much more. Given given how time-sensitive the issue was, that is not a piece that 60 Minutes had done in the can for two or three months of editing to run at a later right. date, okay? That was probably given whatever their version of a fast-track process is. So let's do... Let's just line up a, a series of, of, of unfortunate events here, Mr. Snicket. So February 28th is when the paper is published in the New England Journal of Medicine with Fauci giving the modest pandemic flu level comparison of the lethality ratios for COVID-19, correct? Yes. Is it fair to say, do you think that that piece was probably at a minimum submitted to the New England Journal of Medicine a week prior to its publication? Yes. Is that fair, do you think? Oh, yeah. Okay. So let's say February 21st or thereabouts is when that piece by Fauci is actually authored and submitted. Fair? Oh, it's fair. I would say it, they got it a lot earlier, but I think I see what you're trying to do here. Okay. Yeah. What was the date you said that they began phase so one, the Moderna the vaccine? Invest, the investor's website for Moderna says uh, dateline February 24th. Moderna ships mRNA vaccine against novel coronavirus for phase one trials. Would we stipulate that there's no study, way possible Fauci submitted an article of this standing to the New England Journal of Medicine to be published on February 28th? Four days before. Four days before no publication because it was published. I should clarify this. If you go and read this article online, it will give you a date like March, March. 10th or something. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the date that it appeared on their website because right. this is proprietary information. So it's it's going in the journal. It's going in the proprietary journal first before it appears online. It's it was published in in the physical journal February the twenty eighth. So I should probably have stipulated that right because if it was like an online thing, it could have absolutely been submitted a few days mm -hmm. in advance and thrown up there. No, this was the physical publication of the physical journal. It was published on the twenty eighth of February. So chances are Fauci writes this before. Anybody at Moderna that lets anybody know, hey, we're moving on to phase one of a COVID vaccination trial, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And then the same day that Fauci out of nowhere goes full Denethor at Ministerith in front of the Congress is the same day that the WHO declares this a pandemic. That is an interesting chain of events it is a fascinating chain of events it may all be 
coincidental. That they waited until one of their vaccine manufacturers went to human trials before declaring a pandemic. Because it was about a month prior to when Moderna made this announcement that the WHO tweeted out, China assures us there's no human-to-human transmission of the coronavirus. Remember that infamous tweet? Yes. That, I think that is even still up, by the way. I don't know, man. It's, it's interesting. I'll just say that. It's very interesting timing. This is the reason why people are anti-vax. They're making more people anti-vax. I saw Candace Owens say that the other day. I totally agree. This they're making, you know, go folks. You can just our buddy Phil Kirpin just did this about an hour ago. Just went and looked at the actual hospitalization data. Their own data shows that what the CDC director is claiming about this influx of yeah. of ICU visits by adolescents for COVID, it's just not true. It's a flat out lie. Their own data shows it is a lie. Their own data does. But but they're her and CNN are pumping this narrative in. Now why are they doing that? What did we do in our overtime yesterday? What did we do in our overtime yesterday? We went and looked at the latest vaccination right. data, right? And what was one of the data points that I pointed out in the OT yesterday? That we had both the, the overall numbers and then the trend line. And the trend line was after the first week of emergency authorization for COVID vaccination for 12 to 15-year-olds, after the first week those vaccinations declined by 60% because people started getting myocarditis and all the other things that started coming up with some of these adolescent mm-hmm. incident reports. And people are like, well, my kid's not even vulnerable to this anyway, so why am I doing this, right? Right. And so a, a 60% drop is a massive drop. When you look at the fact, when you do the numbers, that about one-third of the American population, as it stands right now, if not a little more, will end up completely unvaccinated given how the current trend line has kind of precipitously hit a stone wall. Overwhelmingly, which demographics are contributing to that one-third or more of the population? The youth are. And so right after this data comes out, they now have a new narrative that we're just, we're loaded up with ICU patients that are adolescents when their own data shows. It's simply not true. It's a flat-out lie. It's a damnable lie. This goes back to the conversation we were just having about the, from our friend in Osaka University, isn't it? Yes. Just all narrative, no facts. Yes. It's an eerie and fascinating sequence of events. It's, it's, it's one hell of an eerie coincidence. Or it's not. When you take that chain of events and just follow the sequence. Time to dust off your Occam's razor, brother. Which requires the least amount of assumptions, believing all of these things randomly occurred. By the way, um, how is Moderna able to get the sequence of the virus to vaccinate it? Where'd that come from? Who provided that? That's what I told Todd this morning. And where'd the, how'd they get that so early? Maybe we can ask uh, John Cena. Huh. That's kind of weird, isn't it? A little bit. They have. So, 
they spent a decade plus with a fully sequenced virus whose lethality we watched its behavior in real time the first SARS and they spent a full decade plus unable to create a viable vaccine for that but before we even observed this virus in the general population and and a month before it was announced almost a month or 17 days before it was announced as a pandemic they're already at human trials weird just a lot of things about this a lot of this math doesn't add up at least not innocently where do I want to go next after that kind of feels like everything anything I might talk about might be anticlimactic given the stakes the possible stakes at stake if anything we just remotely dot connected is true anything you look like you have something you want to say about this it's told you I don't it's coming out you're going to hear it more uh, about anti-vaxxers and listen I'm you may as well call Phil Kirpin for what he just pointed out you know you're anti-science no quite quite the opposite I, I just don't like being lied to by the way Phil is aggressively pro-COVID vaccine by yes, the way yes he is yeah yes uh, and I understand the science of how uh, vaccination works, and I have some issues with that, uh, but that's not even fundamentally my problem. It's about that the entire vaccine industry, this is not new to COVID or to science. The, the, the doctors, they don't study vaccines for the most part. They, they're just given, you know, hey, it's it's like candy. Honestly, it's like they're giving rolls of lifesavers to pass out and lollipops at the doctor's office. That's kind of the vaccine industry for doctors. We've lost our minds on this. This is why I say things like magical thinking. I just, you've known this about me before COVID. It's why I was, I, I think providentially, part of this show maybe, we've talked about places and times, what, to, to be to just have this layer of experience and then Aaron's with being married to a nurse uh, and, and Steve's had a, a totally different uh, level of interaction uh, with he healthcare and getting healthy and we together the three of us came together and we compared notes and we it, it doesn't smell right and that, this, that sequence of events smells a lot of things yeah right no ain't one of them okay don't you stop being a lab rat Stop it. Get some final thoughts here in a second. First, let me tell you, though, if you are interested or think now is the time with things opening back up, the warmer weather's here, maybe the real estate market gets hopping again, make sure you go in with a real estate agent that you can trust. Where would you find such a person? Well, the name kind of says it all. Just go to this website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that is realestateagentsitrust.com. That's where you're going to find an agent that we have fully vetted and verified 
just about anywhere you want to move to or from in the country, we can probably help you. Their track record of success has been proven and they know that they need to come in, help you take charge of the situation, yes. But then they also know that ultimately you are the one that's in charge. And chances are you might even run into a fellow Blaze TV uh, watcher or Blaze podcast, Blaze radio listener. Uh, just go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, we got about two minutes. Final thoughts. Yeah, that gated community effect that I talk about, you got to get the hell out of there. Uh, again, just trying to inspire my daughters. I sent them the speech from Braveheart. But it's it, this, it's so important to, you know, where they're, oh, we'll live. We'll live. They, they, they don't want to fight. I'm not fighting for that. And, it's in, and Braveheart says, yeah, you may, you may live. And if you stay, you may die. But many years from now, when you're lying in your bed, would you give every day from this day to that to have one chance, just one chance to say, yeah, you may take my life, but you're never going to take my freedom. I, that's why we make movies. That's why we go to the movies to remind us of how blessed we are to breathe this free air. And that stupid diaper that tried to tell us that that wasn't our right. Be done with that in every walk of your life and take your damn country back i gotta follow that come on now come on uh that was very well said todd there um there are going to be ample opportunities to fight in the days ahead you just have to define decide if you're up for it many of you have and i'm i'm pleased to say that just seeing and hearing some of the, the feedback that we get, many of you have, and that's, that's good. Once this is defeated, meaning this particular battle, COVID, is, is defeated, there are going to be myriad other battles to fight. Now, there should be sometimes um, an effort to pick and choose which ones are more worthy of fighting than others, but there are going to be battles. Don't... Let the immediacy of the effects of what was done surrounding this virus distract you from those other battles. It's easy when it hits you right in your home. Not so easy when it's just down the street. But we got to take the next block, the next bridge, what have you. Those battles are going to be there tomorrow and the next day. Pick them. That'll do it for us. We're going to stick around you overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.